Well, please open with me in your, in, the, in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, chapter three and four, will be our text this morning. Ruth, chapter three and four. This is the second sermon in a short two-part series through the book of Ruth. I need to say at the outset that my voice is not so clear this morning. I have uh, downed more honey in the last two days than in my whole life, and I'm not sure what that's gonna do to me, just on its own, but it's supposed to coat your throat. We can pray that the Lord's voice will be clear through his word, and pray it will be. There are many ways in which God communicates his love to us. He does so with clear statements, he does so with poetry, he does so with story, and in the book of Ruth, he does so with a love story. That's what this book is. We spent uh, our time together last week in the first two chapters, and we are picking up where we left off now with chapter three. I'll read for us Ruth three through four. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he was winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lie at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city And when she came to her mother-in-law, he said, how did you fare, my daughter? She said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by, So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. 
And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth and the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make a woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and, because, and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him the, same, the name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Uh, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nahashon. Nahashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Well, what we have here is a love story. It's a story of redemption. It's filled with romantic energy and even sexual tension. But it's a story of righteous people, pure desires, and godly decisions. It's a beautiful, beautiful tale. Now I'm gonna have to preach this thing. And preaching is an easy work. You have to not only get across what's on the page, you have to get across the feelings that are on the page. This story is meant to move us. There are tears in this story. There's ecstatic joy in this story. There is great heartache in this story. All of it is right here. It is said that this is one of the finest, uh, most carefully, most beautifully composed love stories of all times. 
It is one of the oldest texts that we have in terms of manuscripts in the Bible, and yet it conforms perfectly to the standards of uh, love story composition, whatever those are. And I'm not surprised. After spending a week in this story, while I have read Ruth before, I have never lingered in the story and slowed down to read it slowly and contemplate the story, and I moved by it. So I hope you take some of that home yourself. Like all good love stories, it's a story of pursuit. There are three pursuits in this story, and those three pursuits will give shape to today's sermon. The first pursuit is Ruth pursues Boaz. Ruth pursues Boaz in chapter three. In verses one through seven, we see how Ruth pursues Boaz. We see in verse one that Ruth's pursuit of Boaz was a restless pursuit. It was restless. It was from a position of great need. Ruth 3, one, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Both Naomi and Ruth were in Bethlehem and they were not at rest. Both widowed. It was hard to imagine two people or two women on harder times. And in the first chapter, we get a picture of this. We meet a family, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, had two sons, Mahalon and Chilion. It was the time of judges. There were laws, but people were lawless and there were leaders, but they led wrong and there was no king in Israel. This is a hard and a bad time. It was a time of famine. All the shelves were empty and everyone was hungry. The situation was serious enough that it drove this family to Moab. Drove this family to Moab. The Moabites Bites were a people with bad roots. They began from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. And the Israelites were not to mix with Moabites. But in Moab, Elimelech and Naomi's sons marry Moab, Moabite wives, a kind of intermarriage that was forbidden. From these marriages, they get two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. So they're now a family of six. These are hard times, but at least they have each other. And then all three husbands die, which is not only terribly sad for these women, it's downright dangerous when Naomi heard that there was food and that the Lord had visited Israel and providing food. She decided to return, insisting that her daughters stay back. And it may have been a sign of her lack of faith uh, in her own God that she would insist that her daughters-in-law stay back, but it also did come from a a love for them. Humanly speaking, at least, they would fare better uh, in Moab with their own people. They would not likely ever find a mate in Israel being Moabites, foreigners, if they came back with her. But Naomi felt she needed to leave. And in love and through tears, Naomi tells the women to stay. Orpah stays, but Ruth clings to Naomi and gives us these words of stunning devotion. Ruth 1.16, do not urge me uh, to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. What a plea. And Naomi did not stop her from following. So Naomi and Ruth returned together and when they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was abuzz with Naomi's return. Could this be Naomi? Naomi we haven't seen for so many years. But Naomi is crushed under her circumstances And she says, do not call me Naomi, 
Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. This is a woman with a broken heart. This is a woman on the hardest of circumstances. This is a woman not at her best in terms of faith in her Lord, but we see her heart as it is on her lips in those, that verse, and in the name she wants to be called, bitter. Chapter one began with Naomi, a wife and mother and two sons. Chapter two ends with Naomi, a widow and a mother of two dead sons. Ruth is a blessing, but her heart is sad. Naomi has the good of her girls in mind, and she does when she says to Ruth at the first verse of our chapter three, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? She's going to give her instructions as to how to find a mate. She's not a curmudgeonly old lady who wants all of the attention and does not want Ruth to fly off and have a life uh, or, uh, or a spouse. She cares for Ruth and she is committed to seeing Ruth's, committed to seeing Ruth's good. Ruth's pursuit of Boaz was a restless pursuit from a position of great need. It was also carried out with a strategic plan. It was carried out with a strategic plan, verses two through four. Is not Boaz our relative, Naomi says to Ruth, with those whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, if you are wondering right now how I'm going to explain this, uh, then good. Good, I'm glad you are. If you aren't wondering how I'm going to explain this, wonder how I'm going to explain this. Surely this makes no sense at all. Surely it's at least not strategic, which I said it was when I started this point. It's seductive, maybe, or scandalous. We would want to remember that the Bible in many places, and especially in narrative, is descriptive and not prescriptive, which means it may describe actions and events without prescribing those actions and events. That should be plain enough. It doesn't always feel the responsibility in the course of the narrative, depending on the point it's trying to make, to interpret explicitly the rightness or the wrongness of an, of an event or an activity. And in this case, it may be that Naomi was wrong to suggest this exact course of action, at the very least, you should never tell your daughter to do this. While, while he is sleeping, crawl through the window, under his cover at his feet, and when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. This is a dangerous, dangerous instructions, but all things considered, all things considered, including the time period and the nature of this specific relationship and the Old Testament biblical law, this plan is actually at least prudent. It is wise and it's strategic. Boaz is a strategic person. He's not just a man of interest. He's a relative. In most cases, that would also seem like a bad reason to be interested in him, but in Israel, God had set up a way for women in these circumstances to be cared for by means of a relative. It was called leveret marriage. It was a custom where God gave to Israel that God gave to Israel for the protection of widows and for the carrying on and the maintaining of lineage. Deuteronomy 25, five through six, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife. 
and perform the duty of a husband brother to her, husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, and his name may not be blotted out, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So that's concerning what to do when a man dies, has no son, leaves a widow, but he has a brother. The brother is to care for uh, his, his deceased brother's wife by providing for her a son. There is also a law in Leviticus concerning a redeemer of land. Leviticus 25, 25, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. The nearest family member, the nearest male family member shall come and buy up that land to keep it within the family and provide a sale for the brother. Ruth's husband has no surviving brothers to take the place of her husband. But Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, deceased husband, had relatives in Bethlehem. Boaz is in the family and he is one that can fill these roles for Ruth and through Ruth for Naomi. Boaz is a strategic person. She also pursued Boaz with strategic timing. When else could she approach him? During the day with others around? This question brings us to a legitimate dilemma. She was a servant, even lower than a servant. She was gleaning in his fields. There were always people around. There were no private conversations about private matters, especially about these kinds of things in the future and a possible marriage between a servant, a poor woman gleaning in a man's field who owns that field. There was no context in which to discuss her need or to communicate her desire for him. And note that she has grounds to do so given her status as a widow and being his relative through Naomi. Naomi instructs her as to the perfect time at night is perfect and after his stomach is full, when his heart is merry and when he is sleeping and everyone else is sleeping is the perfect time to approach him. Her placement is also just right at his feet, close enough to be noticed but in such a place so that even if it would not be misinterpreted, so that if it were seen, it would not be misinterpreted either by him or by someone else, hopefully at least. Ruth's pursuit of Boaz was a restless pursuit. She carried it out with a strategic plan and she carried it out with risky obedience. She carried it out with risky obedience, verses five through seven. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Make no mistake here, she is laying it all on the line. Not only is the plan weird, but it is downright dangerous if you think about it. Who is she, a poor woman approaching a wealthy man? Who is she, a young woman pursuing a middle-aged man? A servant approaching a landover owner and doing it in this fashion. This could have gone wrong in so many ways. She could have been taken advantage of. Naomi and Ruth, Naomi and Ruth are only assuming on his character. You may remember from last week that Boaz had to instruct the young men not to touch her. Women in this kind of a circumstance, theirs, and this kind of a world at this kind of a time would be vulnerable to abuse and being taken advantage of. It could have happened. She could have been seen and her reputation destroyed and she had a good reputation. She could have been uh, at the feet of the wrong man. She had to look carefully, she was instructed by Naomi, for where he lay down. 
There would have been other men in the room on the threshing floor. But Naomi trusted his character. Verse four, he will tell you what to do. His character was demonstrated to us in the course of the second chapter. When Ruth and Naomi arrived at Bethlehem, Ruth began gleaning in a field and Israel landowners were required to leave some of their crops for collecting by the poor. This is what Ruth did and she took the notice of the landowner whose name was Boaz and he asked some workers about her and he got the story. And here is an exchange from chapter two uh, between Naomi and Boaz, their first exchange. Listen to the, the emotional character and the carefulness and the sweetness of this exchange. Then Boaz said to Ruth in verse eight of chapter two, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for I have, you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Ruth is clearly a godly, righteous young woman. She left her land and her mother and her father and the people that she knows in love for her mother-in-law, widowed Naomi, to go to her land. And he commends her for this. And Boaz demonstrates righteous character towards Ruth. He provided for her, commanding her to continue gleaning in his field. He protected her, commanding his young men not to touch her. And he honored her, commending her for her character and her love for Naomi. And then he filled her sack full of grain, enough barley that would equal a half a month's wage, and she returned home with it. Boaz was a relative of her dead husband, Naomi's dead husband, Naomi discerned that he was an honorable man and Naomi may also have discerned that this man was interested in Ruth. She's listening to Naomi. She's listening to Ruth come home from the fields each day and hearing the stories, hearing the kinds of things the man says and does that uh, attest to his character. And if she's reading things right, his interest in her in college, we had a couch in my dorm room call for love counseling called the Love Couch. It's a dirty old couch. We got it from a dumpster, I bet. Whenever, um, whenever the new school year would start, it was downtown Chicago, and so you have all these high-rises full of you know, apartments, and people move in and out, and sometimes you just beautiful couches sitting in, uh, in dumpsters, so we'd, we'd find them. Love Couch. If a guy had a prospect and needed to talk it through, he would come in, sit on the couch, and a few of us guys would listen to stories and then tell him what we thought. And how I wish that I would have had a recorder for some of those, especially when Christy entered the scene of my life. I can remember having my eye on Christy, but not having mentioned this to the guys yet. And Dale said, I think you and Christy look right together. 
It was after a crisp, uh, winter break. We'd come back and we were eating dinner in the student dining room and she and I sat across from one another, which we hadn't done before, though we were friends, and we just talked for maybe a half an hour. Other people talked around us and she and I were engaged in conversation. My buddy took notice of this. I maybe didn't want to read too much into just a nice conversation over dinner, but he thought something looked right about it. And I'm glad he tipped me off. Another friend of mine noticed that Christy kept a certain schedule in the student center. She seemed to have timed her visits to the building around 15 minutes before I strolled through after a class. So the student center was in the middle of this, the campus. And, uh, you know, uh, your life's on a pretty good rhythm there. You, you, classes happen at certain times every day. So you could figure out where someone was going to be at almost at the minute. And Christy would come into the student, student center and have a seat and read. And I would enter the door. I would see her, swing by, sit down. We'd do this every day for a good while, talk for half an hour and then be on our way. Um, and he'd noticed, he worked in the student center, he'd noticed that she would come in, she'd sit, and then I would come in. We'd have this conversation, then we'd part off. He said, you realize she keeps a schedule. This is not, she's not just here all the time, she's here when you're here. <laughs> and so uh, I would see her, swing by, say hi. I was certainly looking for her, but I didn't know that she was positioning herself like this and I needed that tip and I appreciated it. So Naomi can read Ruth and Naomi can read Boaz through the interaction Ruth is bringing home. There's a human character to this story, isn't there? Naomi's been around. She's seen couples come together. Naomi knows Boaz's character so she can give Ruth these instructions and say, he will tell you what to do. And Ruth, knowing Naomi and having treated having interacted with Boaz now for some time, trusted these words. So what happened next? How did Boaz respond? In verse 8 through 18, we see how Boaz responds to Ruth. We should not be surprised at first that Boaz responds with great shock. Verse 8 through 9, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? Uh, yeah, he may have known who it was, but she's in, she, ah, who are you? Uh, the, the, the story even takes on a more generic and distant character. So where you have, you know, Naomi and Ruth and names for people here, it's the woman. And uh, there's, an odd, there's, an odd, there's an oddness about the scene, obviously, right? A woman lay at his feet. Ruth proposes. That's exactly what she does in the next verse. And you can imagine her heart racing. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's a subtle proposal. By speaking of wings, she's asking him to be for her what he had prayed for. He said that she had come to, be, uh, to find refuge in God under God's wings, and now she's saying, spread your wings over me. Be the means by which God cares for me. And by putting herself even in a small way under his cover, this is to signal that she's interested in being his wife, to share the cover. But while she doesn't exactly say, will you marry me, her proposal is still clear. She doesn't ask or beg. She tells him what to do and on what basis. He is a redeemer. This is even a kind of legal obligation. He is a redeemer. Boaz responds by honoring Ruth. You must imagine how many ways she could have imagined this would go. Will he throw me out? Will, he, uh, will, will it just get awkward from here? Will this ruin our friendship? No, she, he responds this way. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. 
I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz speaks to her in such sweet and honoring terms. My daughter indicates his, ten- his tender care and it signals the difference in age. He honors her character. She could have had her pick among the younger men. She's a worthy woman and everyone knows that she's a gem. With this, Boaz is knocked off his feet by her character for she pursues a redeemer for her and for Naomi's line instead of a mere husband for herself. Boaz responds with integrity, verse 12 and 13. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I, a relative closer. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz will do this right. As the Lord lives, he will redeem her, but only after the nearer redeemer has publicly relinquished his right to do so. You can imagine how that night went, their thoughts swirling about their futures and their possible future together. I can remember when Christy and I were just friends, quite literally. We were um, sitting in a church together, went to the same church in college, and uh, this was, the chairs shared an armrest. See where this is going? So I went to use the armrest, and she went to use the armrest, and boom, our, our elbows touched. And uh, so you don't move. <laughs> and you see if they're gonna move, and then you don't move, and then you're like, well, if I move, what would that communicate? And, Maybe she doesn't notice, but this is great, you know. Uh, so, well, you know, I can, I can remember that. Electric, right? Electric. And on the way to the joining of any two people in marriage, there are these moments of tension and emotion and imagination, and this is one of them for Boaz and Ruth. I don't imagine either of them slept that night, and yet as they lay there, they were pure. As they lay there, they were pure. Boaz responds with integrity. And Boaz responds with protection, verse 14 through 15. So he lay at his feet until the morning. She lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And she said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, let it, be known, uh, let, it, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. He had protected her before. He had told his young men not to touch her. Now he protects her from judgment by filling her sack. If she is seen, she'll be seen carrying grain, presumably from a late night of gathering. She's known to be a hard worker. And so Ruth returns home, her imagination running and her heart full to overflowing. And verse 16 says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi knows a man. She was right about Boaz, and she is right about Boaz here. Ruth was interested in Boaz. Boaz was deeply honored that a woman of such character would take an interest in him. 
and Boaz would not rest until she was his. She can't live without him and he can't live without her, but he must do this right. And so Boaz lay awake that night plotting how to go about this move. And in chapter four, we get the story. We've seen Ruth pursue Boaz in chapter three. And now in chapter four, verses one through 17, we see Boaz pursues Ruth. Boaz pursues Ruth. And he does so with a shrewd plan. He pursues Ruth with a shrewd plan. In this next scene, Boaz takes on a different tone than before. In chapters one and two, we find him happy, passionate, and expressive. The sun is out. He's calling to his workers. He's greeting her in very emotional and expressive and, and, and personal terms. At night, this threshing floor scene, he's equally as expressive, as clear, as, uh, as careful with his speech. And here he is careful as well, but here he's the great negotiator. Cool-headed, precise, calm, and calculating. He's a real man that can switch back between tenderness with a lady he's pursuing and carefulness with a man with whom he has a very sensitive dealing here. Verse one. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now, just now, we've already learned something about this nearest of kin to Naomi. The character isn't much for actual character. He's called friend. Literally translated means so-and-so. So-and-so. Have a seat right here. So he sits down. Verses two through four. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And this is where we all yell, no. This is not what we wanted to hear. Sweet, precious, um, gentle, godly, God-fearing Ruth, married to this so-and-so, with Boaz, uh, a perfect match on his own. Verse five and six, then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of my redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. What Boaz has done here is quite clever. It was clever in the fact that he sought this man out. Surely if he had taken Ruth for his own, as soon as this man figured out that he was actually the first in line, given that there was land in the mix, he may have taken Boaz to court. He was clever in the way he unfolded the opportunity to him. Notice that the price is set for the land first before mentioning Ruth. There's two things going on here. The man has died. Uh, Naomi is selling the land. So the next of kin is to be there to buy it. Uh, he is also, uh, Naomi's husband has died. And so there's also an obligation as of next and kin to be a brother's 
to be a brother, uh, to fulfill a brother's obligation uh, when his brother has died. But Boaz mentions the land deal first and secures the price for that. And as soon as he learns that he would also, if he takes the land deal, has to also take Ruth, he can't do it. You see, if Ruth were to have one child, that child would take the inheritance of Ruth's side of the family. She would have to have a second child in order for his own line to continue. He would have his own problem if there wasn't a second son, and he's not willing to risk this. But perhaps if the land and the deal with uh, the, the obligation to Ruth were presented together, perhaps that would have changed the price of the land and he could have made this all work. He, t- he places these things in such a way that the man's decision will be, uh, if his character is what it is, uh, where, where, where it lands. So it's a calculating way that he presents the opportunity to so-and-so. And so the guy backs out. Boaz is thrilled and so are we. He was clever in where he decided to do this at the city gate. This, is where pub, this was public and where official things happened. He gathered witnesses. It is done when it is done. And make no mistake, this did not look good for so-and-so. The same passage in Deuteronomy that gives instructions for leveret marriage also gives instructions for due to the man uh, instructions for what due to the man who refuses to care for his brother's wife in this way. So it goes like this. If the deceased husband's brother refuses to serve the wife, uh, she's to go to the elders of the town and then they talk with him. And if he refuses still, then they all go to the gate with, uh, in front of witnesses and she spits in his face and yanks his sandal off, which is a, which is a symbol of dispossession and uh, his house is ruined. His name is ruined. His reputation is ruined. This is, not, this is not a man of character, not a man who cares for his own honor, not a man who loves the Lord, not a man who cares for the name of his own family. This guy loses, but everyone else, everyone else wins, and that's the rest of the story. As the story continues in verses 7 through 17, we see that everyone else wins. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahlon, Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And this here is a very, very happy ending. It's a happy ending for Boaz. He's publicly confirmed his rightful role as Ruth's redeemer. The elders of the town extol Boaz and pray for his name to be renowned in Bethlehem. And now Boaz is married to this marvelous young woman of excellent character. He has trusted in the Lord, demonstrating a patient in prudent righteousness, and he is rewarded for it here. And it's a happy ending for Ruth as well. Ruth is married to Boaz. She came to Bethlehem poor and gleaning from fields, and now she's married to the landowner. She came hungry, and now she's full. She came empty, and now she's full. She came a foreigner, and now this is home. She has trusted in the Lord and has demonstrated a tireless and tender righteousness toward both her mother-in-law, Naomi, and toward Boaz, and she is rewarded for it. And it's also a happy ending for Naomi. Boaz and Ruth have a child, and so Naomi's line continues, and she has a means of being cared for. She's now uh, the child's nurse. She's celebrated by the woman of the town. She has trusted in the Lord and has demonstrated a self-sacrificing and selfless righteousness toward her daughters, Orpah, and especially in this story to Ruth, and she is rewarded for it. Yes, this is a good ending for the story's characters. But it is a good ending for you and I as well. It's a good ending for us as well. Because this is not just a story about Ruth pursuing Boaz or Boaz pursuing Ruth. It's also a story about how God pursues us. It's a story about how God pursues us. And this is the true point of the story. Now, there are many lessons for us here in this book. How a man would treat a woman. How a woman would treat a man patience in romance, process in relationships, the beauty of righteous character. But this book was not written to teach us about human character and human plans and human love merely, although it does do that. It was written to teach us about divine character and divine plans and divine love. During a time of frequent anarchy and lawlessness among God's people, there are those who act honorably And there is the Lord who blesses, unites couples, and gives children. He can be trusted, and he has always been trusted by some, even when he has been hated by most. And in these times, the times of the judges, when everyone did what was right in his own eyes, this actually happened in Israel. And God was at work on the ground in the relationships of these people. And so in our hardships, we can trust the Lord in the details of our lives, just like Naomi did, just like Ruth did. And just like Boaz did, living strategic, clever, risky, righteous lives to please the Lord and accept from his hand whatever he would give. But this book runs much deeper than this. You see, Naomi and Ruth were on a hard time and a son was an important key to their futures. But Naomi and Ruth's desperate situation was but a picture of Israel's desperate situation. And Israel's desperate situation is but a picture of the desperate situation of the entirety of the human race. There was a famine in the land of Israel when the book began, precisely because there was a famine, a spiritual famine in the heart of Israel. And there was a famine in the heart of Israel because there's a famine in the heart of every human being. God is not our food. And so God teaches us of our need for him and did to Israel in assigning a famine 
for not seeking him. And likewise, their widowhood and their practical barrenness were signs of God's judgment on the nation. And so we are all spiritually stillborn, dead in our trespasses and sins, the scripture says. Naomi and Ruth needed a son and the world needs a son too. Remember how the women of the neighborhood prayed for Naomi's grandson? How sweet these words must have been in Naomi's ears. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. And they are speaking of Naomi's grandson. They could never have imagined, though, how their prayers would ultimately be answered. Naomi has been preoccupied with a child and for her good earthly reasons, and now a child is in her arms. But a preoccupation with lineage and children is not just a human preoccupation, but a divine preoccupation. Since Genesis 3.15, when God promised that a son of Eve would turn back sin and death, God has been securing the birth of a child down the line, generation after generation. And so it's good news that in the last six verses we have a list of names. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. The genealogy backs up. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nahashon. Nahashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. God has been preparing for the coming of that child and he has been at work through Rachel and Leah, through Judah and Tamar, through Perez, and now through Ruth, the Moabite who married Boaz. This book began without a king and it ends with the lineage that ends with the name of the king that will come, David. And so our New Testament opens with the first verse of the book of Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. This is how the whole story is actually a story of God's love for you and me and every link of this sometimes sketchy and shady genealogical chain, God has been lovingly pursuing you and me. And through each step in this genealogy, genealogical chain, sometimes he takes pains and goes out of his way to make sure he's teaching us a little bit something about himself and his plan. And it's no mistake, it was no plan B that a Moabite woman would end up in the line in the same way that it is no plan B that Rahab, a prostitute, would end up in the line. And if you read the long genealogy in the book of Matthew and you were to trace back each story, you would find a story of some commendable characters and many crooked characters whom God saved. And in this case, he made Ruth his own. So no matter what gods you have served, if you cling to Christ, if you cling to the one true and living God of the Bible, as Ruth clinged to Naomi's God and Naomi's people, you can know this God and you can be a part of his people. You are not too far off, no matter what gods you have served. He saves Ruth, he loves Ruth. And in, in Boaz's tenderness with her and his care for her and his gentleness with her, we find a picture of God's tenderness and gentleness and care towards those who come to him in repentant faith, knowing their need in humility. 
This book opened up with death and it closes with life. It opened up with barrenness and it ends with a lineage. It opened with emptiness and it ends full. It opened with anarchy without a king and it ends with the lineage of David, which is the lineage of Jesus Christ. And because of all of this, the apostle Peter can write in 1 Peter 1, you know that it was not with perishable things as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for the precious blood of Christ, without which we would not be, without which we could not be redeemed. Our redemption from sin, from death, from judgment required the death and the judgment of Christ on the cross. And so we praise you for sending him there. We praise you for your great grace to us in the gospel to redeem a people for your own possession. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.